the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab 10 score plus 15, or 215, <laughs> for Wednesday, August 19th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the math. No, the Mac Geek Gab. Uh, I'm Dave Hamilton, and we have John. We have a cast of, of well, maybe not thousands to this evening, but uh, but, but we, a special special guest. Yeah, we do. So, uh, I, of course, I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. You are uh, John Braun in Fairfield, Connecticut, right? yeah. and then and then next to me in Durham, as as often happens when we do the show here, is is of course Pilot Pete. Hello, everybody. Yep. And then uh, we have a special guest, though, no stranger to the show, which uh, joining us this evening, and that is Michael Johnston. There he is, the man of the hey. hour. And where are you at? Can you reveal your uh, location? Or I'm in Rockford, Illinois. The home of Cheap Trick. Yes. Really? That's where my sister was born. Hey, see? <laughs> Look at that. It's like a one big happy family here. <laughs> Uh, okay, so should, should we say why Michael's here? Or? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we brought Michael in uh, because toward the end of today's show, we're going to talk, yes, a little bit more about SSD drives, but only because uh, all three of us, uh, myself, John and Michael, ha- over the last week or so, have have gone whole hog with uh, with these things in, in, in slightly different ways. So we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end and, and what our experiences are. But I did half hog. Sorry. Yeah, John- Sean half locked it. That's right. Uh, but uh, but for now we will we will start the show with uh, with our normal if anything's ever normal uh, Mac banter and uh, and we'll take it from there. And uh, Michael might wind up chiming in on uh, on a couple of Mac things because he's as much of a Mac geek uh, as, as as some of the rest of us. And I'm looking. Yes, I am. I'm, I'm vamping here trying to find the show. Ready to start with Adam John. Uh, I was going to say, if you need filler, I got some. But if you got Adam ready, the, hit the button, man. I got Adam ready. We'll, we'll, we'll buy some filler time in, a, in about two or three questions. How's that sound? Good. Hi, this is Adam. I um, had my wife uh, giving me a hassle um, because her computer had slowed down to a crawl uh, the last few weeks. And um, so she insisted that I look at it. And, you know, I, I hate being my wife's tech support, but I went ahead and looked at it. And... Um, seems that once I went into the uh, security panel and uh, found that uh, secure uh, virtual memory had been checked, that if I unchecked that, that the problem was solved and her computer went fast again. Um, Now, I'm really concerned. I went into my own computer and saw that it had been checked as well and didn't know whether this was a plot by Apple to get people to find their current machine so slow that they'd upgrade, but um, in any case, uh, it seems to me a, uh, a real problem because obviously if you're, if you're securing all virtual memory, um, that could be very slow if you, are, if you have a computer that doesn't have enough memory. Um, in any case, uh, this solved my problem, but um, I'm sort of wondering what's going on here and if you guys have covered this before seems like there must have been some sort of a uh, security patch or something, some exploit that, that utilized that, and so they must have turned that on by default in a, in a recent update. But um, in any case, uh, problem solved for me, but uh, 
was wondering if you want to sell it for everyone else as well. And um, one. All right, we'll uh, we'll go from there. Uh, okay, so let's talk about uh, why this is here, and, and I believe that by default, uh, Mac OS X Leopard ten point five has secure virtual memory enabled by default out of the box because uh, it allows Apple to qualify Leopard for, um, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was it's some government security. FIPS 140- I've done a little of this. I think that that's one standard a computer or, or system in general can fall under, which is FIPS 140-1 level whatever. Uh, that that's, could be one of them. That sounds good to me, man. That's freaking great. <laughs> okay, I've done that. So that's why it, 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 it has been applied to computer systems, but it's, uh, yeah. So, so we'll, we'll link to FIPS 140-1. And I think it's been updated. It's, it's been a while since I've okay. done that. But, uh, so, uh, so I think I that's why it? it's that way out of the box. But, you know, I think there's there's some challenging points here on, on it uh, out of the box. I checked my machine today, my MacBook Pro, and sure enough, it had it. Uh, enabled and and so let's let's talk a little bit about that and then we'll talk about where the performance potential performance uh, because, hit because, because it, my system I got to say both my systems days my my G5 and my MacBook Pro yep neither machine had a check now I don't know if I intentionally went in at some point and unchecked that because I didn't feel it was necessary or if that's maybe hmm. because now I do you know I don't listen to you for the most part and I don't do the combo updates. I do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's right. Yeah. But I'm wondering because that could uh, be honestly it. on both my machines, it was not checked. So it may depend on the type of update you do and they may decide to do different things b- between the point releases. Uh, All right. Now, so both my systems are upgrades from prior OS 10. So, so just to qualify that. All right, let's, let's check in with our guests here just to get a, a good sample rate here. Now, uh, Pilot Pete, you have a brand new 13-inch MacBook Pro. Oh, it still smells like shrink wrap. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> and, and, and Did on, you get the refurb? He did. I did. Oh, Pulled they the became available again. Excellent. Yeah, because, it, yeah, you were looking in the uh, yeah the refurb store, which I guess it was. Yeah. Yep. We'll put, we'll put a link to that because they're back uh, pretty consistently now in, in the refurb store. So nice. so on yours, Pete, uh, is it, it was fresh it, out of the box? Fresh out of the box. It was checked. Secure vir- virtual memory okay. enabled. Okay. Now, now uh, Michael, your your machine, um, what, what machine are you running and, and is it checked? It's a first-gen unibody, and it, it was checked until you brought it to my attention. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> so are, are you ready? Like, like Babe Ruth pointing to the stands, I'm going to uh, call that, that I've got the answer to this, to this part of this question, John. So, so if, imagine, if you will, uh, a geek dressed with a propeller beanie and, uh, and some sort of memory stick about to swing it. Never mind. Uh, I think it's that... Uh, John, you have always done migration assistant and Pete and myself did not. So we're running leopard as yes. installed fresh and you did an upgrade to leopard. Um, because on, on my current MacBook pro, uh, I, I went out of my way to install leopard fresh and then, you know, reinstall all my apps and I did not do an upgrade or anything okay. like that. So that's reasonable. So I, I would say that it, it inherited it from my prior install. Yeah. And and my just to be to be uh, robust on this, the iMac that I'm on here in the studio, which I migrated assistanted, is that migrate assistanted? What's the verb there? Assisted. Migrate assisted uh, over does not have it checked. So uh, yeah. I, I I think okay. I think that's where it that's where it came from. So 
cool. And now, I'll, I'll, I'll follow ahead. up because I have coworkers actually, you know, it warmed my heart today. So I had one of my coworkers, he's a high level guy and he is upgrading his 15 inch power Mac G4 15 inch, or I'm sorry, MacBook pro G4 15 inch. Wow. That was nice to see. He's used this machine, but he was like, you know, I should upgrade. <laughs> First off, I'm like, well, dude, with Snow Leopard, you're you're kind of out of luck. So you, yeah, it may be time. So so this machine is like six years old. It's awesome. But uh, so I have one thought about wait, wait, this. Wait, yeah. So the second half of this question, John, and that's right. I want to kind of direct this here is okay. uh, the the performance hit. Right. You know, Adam clearly saw a, a, a performance improvement when disabling secure virtual memory on his wife's machine. And we'll take that at, at face value, right? So what are, you, okay. what are your thoughts on this? You're, you're our, certainly our resident security, uh, mm, security that, dude. It's been a while. But anyways, what I will refer to is what I saw in the documentation. So a lot of times the documentation in, in uh, OS X is, is pretty good. Yep. And if you go into that portion of the system preference where it lists all these things, I think it's security now in the security pane, and, it, and you hit help, it describes. And, and here's what it says, Dave, and here's why I have a problem, because I don't like the way this is worded. So here we go. Use secure virtual memory. Select use secure virtual memory to erase any information from random access memory written to the hard disk by virtual memory. Now, I don't think that's a very well-formed sentence, but one way to interpret what the definition is of secure virtual memory, in addition to being encrypted, which I think is a given, is that it wipes out that information. Do you see where I'm going with the way I, they word it? I see that? you pointing to the stands is what I see. Um, Never mind. Should I read this again? No, no, no. I got it. I, you know where you're but going with this. it says erase yeah. any information from RAM written to hard disk. So does that mean it's erasing information in RAM? No. Or erasing information firmware RAM that was written to the hard disk. Yes. Is what, I'm, what I'm suggesting is that secure virtual memory, in addition to encrypting, also includes a feature that will wipe out what has been written on occasion. Well, no, no, no. Here's the thing. I, I okay. think I, the way I interpret that is when we enable or disable uh, secure virtual memory, it has to build a new swap file, right? So, you you know, instead of reusing the same swap file over and over again, it's it's going to go ahead and, and at least rebuild the first one because of that. Uh, I, I think there, there there might have been a fragmentation issue on Adam's wife's machine um, that that was slowing things down. I mean, if that first swap file that was constantly being reused was, um, you know, was was fragmented all over the drive, that's going to cause some problems. Sure. Uh, so by deleting it and the forcing the system to recreate it one way or another, I think if it hadn't been you know, unchecked and he had checked the box, uh, I think that might also have uh, had the same end result. Right. Enabling virtual memory or secure virtual memory rather would uh, would would wipe that out and, and deal with that fragmentation issue. So that that's my thought on it or maybe a corruption issue in the file. Who, who knows? You know, but I, I you know, it. it in the pre-show banter here, we were talking about the types of security that that could potentially be used there, and none of them, John. Correct me if I'm wrong, but none of them are are overly. Um, uh, uh, there's not a lot of of. Gosh, boy, how you doing, John? Hello, how you doing? You you doing good? Well, I'm doing good, but again, what I was suggest, I think we're talking about the same thing. But but what I get from the secure virtual memory definition is that it's erasing it more often than. No, would normally. 
Well, okay. hmm, no, I, I think that, that that's not how I interpret that. Okay. Yeah. I think it just erases it once. When, when you turn it on or turn it off. Uh, but, but the, you know, the, the point I was trying to get to here is that the, the encryption that's being used, it doesn't have a whole lot of, it doesn't add a whole lot of overhead. Right. Is that, is that true? Oh, uh, from what I, I, I believe what that, what they're probably using, if they're using the latest government standards is something called AES, mm-hmm. there's, there's different key lengths. So yeah, but, but these are typically, um, I believe you call it block ciphers, where they don't take a lot of computing. There's, you know, a couple of different forms of encryption. And typically these are very quick. So I, I, I wouldn't see a massive slowdown unless you have a really ancient machine due to the encryption of what's in the swap file. That's what I'm saying. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, you know, I think I think the I think the, the, the takeaway here is that the virtual memory swap files are typically, especially the first one, are typically not recreated every time you start up. Um, you can you can okay. you can force them to be recreated by turning this box on and off, or simply booting into single user mode and and going into private slash var slash vm and and wiping them out. But uh, I know that's one of the things that Applejack, which is one of my favorite uh, command line single user mode utilities, does, is it will go and wipe out the uh, the virtual memory swap files, which can help if there are, uh, you know, lingering issues kind of floating okay. out there. So, And I do see here a, a question from Pete, which I could answer. His question, uh, which he typed out, was, uh, do you need to erase something that's encrypted? Um, in my opinion, it doesn't hurt. Because if you can capture, because a swap file, the problem is a swap file or a VM file potentially contains raw data, which depending on what data you're exchanging and, and you know, whether it's a secure connection or not, uh, a swap file or, or a memory file could have a lot of really juicy stuff in it. So I would argue if you want to be really secure, you free that, you know, you wipe that out, either a force delete or just, you know, market for deletion. So I would say, because there are potential, and actually I, I, I was at a, a thing at work today, and they were talking about apparently in the latest uh, AES standard, there are some theoretical attacks now, this is supposed to be a standard that's good until, I think, 2030 or something. So we got a ways to go with, with the assumption that computing power increases mm. uh, at the rate that it has increased. Now, every now and then, the, the, the math dweebs, or I'm sorry, the math geeks, <laughs> they're not dweebs. No, math geeks or, or Mac uh, brainiacs, uh, the, the math people, they may come up with a breakthrough that kind of skips a couple of generations, you know, due to uh, Moore's Law, right? Sure. Which, uh, you know, sure. If, if you come up with a good formula that kind of leapfrogs increases in processor, you may be able to brute force crack some of these algorithms. So there have been some theoretical attacks, nothing practical against AES, which is the thing used right now. And I think the you got AES uh, 192, 256. Uh, but yeah. All right. And we, we got uh, to put the train back on the tracks because we have a long, long road to go on here. Uh, and, okay, move and- along. And we will move on to Tyrone, which is actually talking about another large file that's created on your Mac. Hey, guys, this is Tyrone from Hiram, Georgia. Used to be from West Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, I like that place. But anyway, uh, I'm listening to show 210. You guys are talking about the uh, image file that's created when your Mac goes into hibernation. And, you know, how that file is the size of your RAM. And then you talk about ways to delete the file if you so desire. Question, if you don't do that, because I recently had a battery replaced in my MacBook Pro, 
And, um, you know, when I just refresh the battery, I let it die, you know, and overnight, and then I recharge it, and it went into that deep hibernation mode. My question is, if you don't reclaim that space, if you don't physically go find that file to remove it, uh, what happens to it? Does it just stay there? Um, you know, like the next time it happens, your Mac goes to deep sleep, it just replaces the file? Uh, I'm just curious about, about that. What If you don't do anything, I mean, if you know, if you leave the Mac working the way it's supposed to, what does it do with that file? So, uh, anyway, great. Thanks for the um, great show, guys, and uh, you can cut me off now. All right, Tyrone. All right, John. So, um, on this one, you 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 went and looked on your machine to see if there was a, a hibernation file there. Where where did you find that? Is that in the same place as the virtual memory? Um, yeah, and I'm going to make this really quick because <laughs> uh, I don't want you guys to get upset or anything. But anyway, so looking in my var VM directory on my MacBook Pro, I see two files. I see a swap file, which is very recent, August 18th, and I see something called sleep image. July 13th, which is a little while ago, and it appears to me the size of it is about 4 gigabytes, which oddly enough is the size of the RAM on my MacBook Pro. Yep. So um, to start, it looks like when it writes that file out, once it writes it out, it's going to hang out there. Um, and I'm not going to talk about the security implications of having a sleep image with all the contents of your RAM potentially unprotected or unencrypted. I'm just not going to talk about it. Uh, that's actually a good thing to to note, though, because uh, because that stuff lives out there for a long time. But it, and I was surprised to see that. I, I would think that it would get rid of it once it you know rebooted the machine and said, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm okay. I'm you know I don't need this this file to restore anymore." Because to, to me, typically when I've created that file, it was when the Mac was depleting its battery and decided, you know, I better write this stuff out. So right. Right. Yeah. No. I I agree. And I every time I run Omni Disk Sweeper, which isn't often it's maybe uh you know once every several months uh, i always find this four gigabyte file sitting out there and it's like oh yeah i gotta get rid of that stupid thing and uh i i agree with you i don't get why or it i don't like the fact that it leaves it out there it's like look you don't need it anymore the di- you're never going to use that data again right i mean it's you know once you reboot or once you wake from that that data is is expired there's nothing good out there so the only reason i can think of that apple has decided to leave it there is uh either a they want to grab a contiguous chunk of disk space to use for that file so that when it has to re either rewrite to it or reread from it uh you know in the future it's got a nice big contiguous chunk, so it's not all fragmented and it's much faster, right? That That's probably number one. Number two is it wants to make sure that it's going to have enough room for that, even if you go ahead and fill your hard drive up to the hilt. And perhaps that's the other reason. Uh, but, you know, the, the first is arguably acceptable. The second, it's like, hey, it's my drive. Let me screw it up, you know. Um, yep. Now, I don't know if I touch it. I'm I'm guessing if you whacked it, Though it may not let you, I would assume it's protected. No, I've, I always whack it. I oh, always get okay. rid of it. Yeah. All right. So you could manually, so just a RM gets rid of it. Mm. I okay. use the delete button in Omni Disk Sweeper, but you certainly could go in okay. the terminal and do it with an RM command. Yep. All right. But yeah. actually, I'm I'm with you on the reasons you may want to have that around, assuming you have a, a large enough hard drive. Uh, why right. the heck not? Just to make sure the space is there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's also worth noting, uh, unless you do something to change it, your Mac, every your laptop, Mac laptop, every time it goes to sleep, will write this hibernation file out. 
Um, it, and, and, and it does this every single time and you'll notice, you know, it takes your Mac a long time to go to sleep and then it writes this file out. Um, when waking up, it will always wake up and just refresh the Ram unless the battery gets depleted all the way down to the point where it can't keep the Ram alive and then it has to shut the machine down. And that's why it writes the hibernation file out just in case you put it to sleep and it stays asleep so long. How long does it? It stays asleep so long that uh, the, the the battery runs out and it has to put it to sleep. So uh, when you you know start it back up, it starts right back up from where you were from where you left off. So I, I think that's the 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 reason they do this. Now, we've talked about a utility before, John, called smart sleep that lets you alter this behavior. And, and I have mine right. set uh, to what smart sleep's defaults are. Smart sleep's a free little utility. And what it does is it will only write that hibernate file if my battery is at less than 20% capacity. So, you know, if we're getting close to the point where it's risky, uh, you know, it goes and writes the hibernate file. Otherwise, it just puts the Mac to sleep immediately, which, of course, makes life uh, yeah. much easier. And so. I live on the edge. I think I do uh, 5%. That's probably but smarter. Also, it's been something that has concerned me because, especially with colleagues, the, the you know, I'm kind of unofficial tech support at work. The first time I saw this, because I think I had gotten smart sleep and I tried to, you know, I said, oh, one cool thing about the Mac, I was, you know, trying to, you know, uh, advertise the benefits to a coworker. And I'm like, but check it out. The thing goes to sleep and wakes up really quickly. And, the, right. and when I put the cover down, it was sitting there for a while because they had a Mac that I think had four gigs. So it takes a little bit of time to write that out to the hard drive. And and the the, the sign you where you know this is happening is that the light is at like half intensity, the uh LED on the on the uh, uh, hinge or, or the, white, the, the white light the, the on button. the yep. yep right it goes like kind of half intensity then once it writes that file out then it does the uh, the pulsing thing correct and and it's worth uh-huh. noting you know if you've got a Mac with a, a regular hard drive in it uh, you don't want to move it around much while it's writing that file out you know so if you're someone who folds up your machine and tucks it in your bag and races off for the train or whatever. Uh, be aware that your hard drive is is still spinning for potentially a minute after you you know close it unless you again unless you use a utility like Smart Sleep oh. or alter the settings somehow. So. And another slight tangent, then we'll move on. But <laughs> one thing I have noticed with the Dell, especially with my Dell, sometimes and I've had this happen once or twice with my Mac, is you shut the cover. It looks like it's going to do the hibernate sleep whatever thing. You put it in your bag, and you find out when you get home you have. A red hot Mac because something screwed up and what happened is that it's stuck in a nice insulated bag and the fans are going bananas because the processor is getting hot. I've had this happen more often with a Dell than I have had with a Mac, but I've had it happen once or twice yeah. with a Mac. Where I actually had that happen whatever with whatever reason too. it has not completed the hibernate cycle or sleep cycle properly. So the machine's on, it's in a bag, the temperature sensors are going nuts, and the only thing it can do is spin the fans, uh, usually until the battery depletes itself and then it just dies. But you may want to keep an eye on your machine just to I, make sure it's I do. Sleeping. I always make sure that light starts pulsing before I before I run yep. because I, I did. I've had that happen once or twice, and that's all it takes is to, you know, an hour later get somewhere and find this, you know, red, like you said, red hot Mac. All right. Our first sponsor for this show is Circus Ponies with Notebook version 3.0. Notebook is an application that allows you to create electronic notebooks. They actually start out looking just like notebook pages uh, with lines and everything. And you can build them into uh, hierarchical text uh, outlines, if you will, of 
really anything you want to do. It actually comes with some templates to help kind of give you ideas, uh, if not even get you started. But you can create notebooks for any purpose you want, be it uh, maybe a vacation you're planning at home or a project you're working on at work. And or, you know, the school year is about to start. Maybe you want to create one for each classroom uh, class you're taking and then build these notes. You can pull PDFs in. Uh, you can annotate the PDFs. It's got an OCR engine in there that allows you to pull that data in as well and, and manipulate it. And then it has what they call a multidex, which is a search engine that allows you to search across all of your notebooks. And you can search. You don't have to search by text if you can't remember that. You can say, well, you know, I remember putting it in on uh, last Wednesday. And so you can go ahead and search, you know, on the 12th and it would pull it together. And uh, it all comes together very nicely. Circus Ponies Notebook 3.0 available at CircusPonies.com. It's $49.95 for a standard license. Twenty nine ninety five for an academic license if you're faculty or student uh, or staff or really anybody working at a qualifying academic institution and upgrades are twenty four ninety five again at circusponies.com. All right, John, is it time to move into uh, time machine realm here? Time machine. <laughs> yes. John, Dave, and Pilot Pete. This is James, somewhere in the airwaves over Pennsylvania. A question for you guys. Now that Snow Leopard's coming out next month, and I do use Time Machine with one of my iMacs, how am I going to handle Snow Leopard once I upgrade to it? I'm probably just going to do an upgrade. Uh, Even if I did a clean install, is that going to create a new file? Does it overwrite the old file? How's that all going to work? Your advice would be greatly appreciated. And one thing, don't get caught. This is where you're going to cut me off. See you guys. Thanks, James. Uh, Okay, so I'll say this uh, carefully here. From what I've heard, uh, when you install Snow Leopard, it uh, essentially will do an archive and install. Uh, There is no straight upgrade path, and that's because the OS completely replaces what was there prior. Uh, and, uh, and, And by all accounts, Snow Leopard will actually in the end, take up less space on your drive than, than Leopard did uh, because it's the, they've gotten rid of all the, the uh, power PC stuff, right? It's only Intel. Right. But uh, from what I understand, I think it's like, you know, we've, we've never done a, a, a point upgrade like this with, uh, with Time Machine because Time Machine was introduced in Leopard. However, there's no reason that it won't be exactly the same as, you know, like doing the upgrade from 10.57 to 10.58. Uh, 10.5.8 to 10.6.0 will put some new files out there. Actually, it's going to put a lot of new files out there. That's going to get rid of some old stuff. And uh, and then you're left with this big, huge list of changed files that Time Machine will go out and back up to the drive. It's going to be a, a lot of a lot of data compared to what it would normally be backing up. But uh but it should be fairly seamless from from that standpoint. The interesting thing would be to see if you can take Time Machine and roll back to a pre uh, Snow Leopard state. And my guess is you could. I don't. What do I you think? Just I was just thinking that, and I would assume so, but I wouldn't bet on it. Right. Clone <laughs> uh, your drive there are first. Files, uh, unless uh, the thing is, unless you identify all the files, and and. Uh, Maybe Time Machine can do that. I don't know if it necessarily has the ability to back up How do, everything. Yeah, can you? Does anybody anybody here know? I, I know we can restore 
individual files, but is there a way to go all the way to say, I want to go back to how my machine was on this date, kind of like Windows lets you do? Um, System restore. Yeah, exactly. That's a nice feature of Windows, and it has saved me a few times. Yeah. yeah. I'm not confident. Uh, Please let, let us know, our listeners. Yeah, does anybody hear Michael or Pete? I've, guys, never, yeah. I've never jumped uh, you know, major OS boundaries doing something like this. Well, but I, even, I even, if I, even if you said you wanted to go back from, you know, 10.58 to 10.57. Yeah, you can do that. If you, you, you have to boot up from the DVD. Oh, right. There's an option to, to roll back in the time right. machine. I knew oh, it was. Okay. Excellent. I knew I'd heard about it, but I'm like, because I've never seen the option. So you, maybe Michael. it's not there. Ah. I think I've done it once before, too. Okay. Okay, so in theory, we could roll back from Snow Leopard to Leopard. Boy, that'd be an interesting little little journey, wouldn't it? Well, well Michael, I, I think Michael was saying that he's done... Were you saying you've done minor point upgrade? Rollbacks? Rollbacks? I, I vaguely remember doing a system restore or whatever it's called once. I don't know if it was a, a point update or for what reason I did it, but I've, I'm pretty sure I've done it. Cool. Huh? Okay, awesome. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is that a, you know, 10. Dot whatever dot whatever upgrade. So so 10.5.1 to 10.5.2 for example. That that I I would see is reasonable to go between those two, but a uh, 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 10.5 which we're at now to a 10.6 or a 10. Dot, you know, what I'm going to call a major revision. It wouldn't matter. Uh, it, I mean if you cloned think about it, it this be. way, John, if you cloned your drive with 10.58 and mm-hmm. then installed 10.6, right? And did some stuff in 10.6 and says, I don't, I don't like it. I want to go back to my clone. You just replace your drive with the clone, right? You don't have any of your data. You don't have anything. It just, you know, the whole OS, everything yeah. right back to where it was. Why? Sure. I mean, Time Machine could do that just the same. In theory, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would I, only be afraid of certain types of data. Maybe if you live on that system for, you know, a week mm-hmm. and you change some stuff and update some stuff and you want to pull some, right. something back. Yeah, yeah. If you want to mix the future and the past, then then I, I would. I yeah. Your your life is in your own hands. I think yeah. so. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Cool. Excellent. Don't don't cross the beams, right? Uh, all right. It's time for John. You said crossing the beams was bad. <laughs> Hi guys, uh, John from Wisconsin Rapids, um, phoning in. I guess with the iPhone. Uh, so if you hear voiceover in the background, uh, I'm a, obviously that's what I use for the uh, for the iPhone. Comment or a question, basically from episode uh, uh, two fourteen. Um, you guys mentioned swap files. Up until recently, well, I run Time Machine uh, manually, weekly backup. Up until recently, I would never reboot the computer, and Dave. Uh, this caught my ear when you mentioned about rebooting once a week. Um, I would back up roughly, oh, well, let's say 30 gigs to the uh, to the time machine backup. Well, I got thinking about this, and, you know, I wouldn't reboot, of course, for a software update. Well, now what I'm doing in the last four weeks, I've tried uh, as an experiment to um, turn off the computer wait for about a minute, bring the computer back up online, then do my time machine backup. <clears throat> so now I'm getting roughly three gigs of backup. So I've really reduced that by by 90%. So my question is, 
when you leave your computer running, does Time Machine also back up those swap files? Um, any thoughts would be appreciated. I have an idea they do, but I'd be really curious of your of your thoughts on that. And guys, I'm going to let you cut me off here. All right. Thanks, John. Um, so I know for uh, almost certain that Time Machine does not back up uh, any of the swap files or the hibernate files or any of these you know meaty big files that we've talked about here. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it is always curious when you see Time Machine, you know, saying it's backing up, you know, 40 gigs or something. It's like, well, what's it backing up or what did it back up? And John, you you actually found uh, quite a few utilities here. And between the two of us, I think we found a couple. Did you get to check any of these out? There, there are some utilities out there that let you look at your Time Machine backups in what I consider a much more friendly way where you can actually see in in you know on the backup that was done at 4 a.m today here's here's the files that we added not here's everything as it stood at 4 a.m today which is what apple gives you but uh but saying look here's the here's the delta here's what changed did did you check any of these out john um the one that i would say of the ones we found so it was actually a macworld article so you know hats off to them they're uh you know, it was a good compilation. The the one that I, I like here that I, I browse, so no, I have not used any of these. Okay. Enough time. But Backup Loop looks like a nice one. I, I'll, one I'll agree with you. Yep. They it said, ever wondered why Time Machine is taking forever? And, and I've often wondered that. So if nothing else, their, their message strikes home because I'll look at Time Machine and it says backing up, you know, 600 megabytes. And I'm like, What? What did I do? <laughs> I yeah. didn't do 600 megabytes worth of work. What's wrong with you? But, but typically, I think a lot of times it's a big file. Like I think Dave, you pointed out a lot of times. Mail, I guess, a lot of times. Mail files, Yep. if, it doesn't, if it's not smart about striping them or, or whatever, it'll take a big old database file and just back up the whole thing. Right. Which if could it, be. If you made one change. That's right. Yep. Gigs. So, so I think that's often, more often than not, the cause of time machine backups taking a real long time and backing up way more data than than they need to so i think that they have to you know kind of work on the algorithms to to figure that out because uh, i can understand why they do it they're like oh that file changed then right. it just happens to be a gigabyte so right. i'm gonna back up the whole thing yeah if you if you keep your inbox you know if you keep five thousand messages in your inbox uh it's gonna back that up every you know and you get a message an hour uh, or however frequently you have set Time Machine to back up using Time Machine Editor, one of our other favorite utilities, um, it, you know, it's going to back that file up every single time and it's going to go ahead and keep all the iterations of it. But uh, but yeah, so I had a, I had an opportunity. We found three or I found three anyway. And, and the third one I found after you pointed me to that Macworld article, but, but article, but there's back in time, uh, which is it's 30 bucks. Um, it's an it, it's an interesting utility. It, it's got. It's actually feels like the kitchen sink. It's got all sorts of widgets and and, uh, controls and and probably gives you very fine grained control about what you're backing up and not what you're backing up, but how you're searching through and and how you're scouring through your time machine backups. Uh, Like you, John, when I found backup loop, I like that one the best. I ran that one today and it gives you it's great. It's it's the same kind of interface as Omni Disk Sweeper or, you know, if you go to the finder and you go to hierarchical view, you just sort of navigate through. But it only shows you the files that were backed up in that particular backup. And then you can go through the list and say, OK, well, I looked at 4 a.m. today. I want to look at, 
you know, the backup from last week and you can click on that and it'll show you what the deltas. And, you know, it is helpful, even if you're not looking to restore anything, it is helpful to run one of these and, and kind of look through the day's backups. You know, if you've still got it set hourly, look at the, you know, the hourlies for the day or if you've got it doing it every couple of hours or whatever, it's good to see because you might find out that you're backing up something like, you know, the mail envelope index is something that my, you know, that uh, was backed up every time because it's constantly changing. Well, it's also something that can be rebuilt. If you delete that file, mail will rebuild it and it works just fine. It takes a little bit of time, but it, you know, you don't need to be backing this thing up constantly. So, you know, you can go through this list and intelligently find some things that you can exclude uh, and and potentially save yourself some some headache and time and, and bandwidth and space when you back up. Uh, the third we found was Time Tracker. That's the oldest of these utilities, I think. Uh, similar to Backup Loop, but doesn't. Uh, I, I like the Backup Loop interface a little bit better, John. When I uh, when I took my tour through them this afternoon. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Where are we here time wise? We're at what about the thirty five minute mark? You know, uh, you want to do a couple of these miscellaneous. We'll save the iTunes library stuff for for Monday and uh, maybe do one or two of these miscellaneous questions, John, and then uh, and then move Shoot. on to our SSD conversation. All right. Uh, so, Michael, uh, not Michael? this Michael. No, different Michael. But, oh, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Like so Michael writes. Uh, this is a basic question, but I thought some of the general listeners might like to know the answer and hear it from some experts, which he happily puts in quotes. Uh, if I have an airport active and connected to my Wi-Fi network and an Ethernet cable from my router plugged in, which does my Mac use for the connection? Okay. I so like the quotes thing. I, kind of. Yeah. Did, we'll move on. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll rise above it. Um Okay, so if they are both plugged into the same router, uh, then, you know, or airports connected to the router and then Ethernet's plugged into the same router. In theory, it doesn't matter which one they use. You'll still get out on the Internet. But, of course, uh, Ethernet is going to, in most cases, be many times, perhaps even orders of magnitude faster uh, than airport. So, you know, uh, let me uh, I hate to interrupt. But, you know, I'd love to, but I just want to <laughs> clarify something because you and I have said it many times, and I think we may be confusing some people. Mm -hmm. Just to clarify the statement, order of magnitude. Yeah. What does that mean? Because oh. the, the first time I heard that, I didn't know what it meant. And <sighs> in my mind, what that means is a phenomenon that changes by at least 10 times. Yeah. That, and that's that's what I would say. That's right. So changing orders of magnitude. When I when I talk about orders of magnitude, I do this all day. I make the staff, you know, I ask the staff questions. Just give me an answer. Order of magnitude. Is it one? Is it 10? Is it 100? Is it 1,000? Right. Is it 10,000? Is it 100,000? Add a zero every time in, in of course, right. you know, base 10. So to me, but, it's basically describing a tenfold increase in performance, which usually is enough to catch someone's attention saying, right. oh, it's a major breakthrough. I have an order of magnitude. Right. Throughput, like from 10 megabits per second to 100 base T to gigabit Ethernet. Right. Those are all examples of order of magnitude potential increase in performance. So I, I just want to clarify because, yeah. again, yeah. the first time I heard it, I'm like, what are you talking about? You're, you're trying to just trick me with these fancy words. Here. But then <laughs> once I understood what it meant, it made sense. And it's a quick way of indicating something that I guess is, is a significant increase that Right. You should pay attention to. So right. go on. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm not looking if it goes from 10 to 12, but if it goes from 10 to 100, talk to me. That's it. Right. So, yeah. uh, so 
uh, because of that, and Ethernet and airport, at least you know, going from uh, from either wireless G to hundred base T Ethernet or wireless N to gigabit Ethernet, it can make a big difference, and it can also reduce latency a little bit. Latency being the time it takes you to send and receive a response, right? So, uh, I have this set up here, and I have my power, my power Mac, my power book. I don't have any of those. I have a MacBook Pro uh, mm-hmm. plugged into my router, and sometimes I also use it wirelessly. Uh, occasionally, I will leave the wireless on, even though I plug the Ethernet in, and I want to make sure that I'm going to use the Ethernet when it's plugged in, regardless of whether I've chosen to leave the wireless on or forgotten about it. Right. So if you go into System Preferences and Network, uh, you can go to, there's a little gear widget down at the bottom of the list of all your connections. And Is that the Services menu? I think that's my, yes, I have heard it called the services menu. That's right. Yeah. But I like the gear because the gear, I mean, you can immediately see that. Okay. What you see, right. If I said services menu, we, you know, I would have lost myself, let alone anybody else. So, uh, so there is an option in there about halfway down called set service order. And in here pulls up a little, uh, um, um, pain or would preference drop down, whatever it is, pulls up a little window and you pick your location And then you drag services around to change the priority order. So if you put Ethernet at the top, if Ethernet is on board, then that's the connection it's going to use for, for, you know, first. And then if that one doesn't work, it's going to go down the list and down the list. So I always just make sure I have Ethernet at the top and uh, and life is happy. And I realized on the iMac here, I do not have Ethernet at the top. Uh, I changed it, but I'm not going to hit apply because, John, I'm, I'm just a little worried about what it might do to our uh, our connection here. So why don't you run a software update while you're at it? Yeah. Let me just reboot quick. Um, so but you had a you had an interesting question that you asked before. Well, the question to me yeah. is if you can see multiple interfaces in theory, tech uh, understanding the technology of how all this works. I don't know if the OS supports it, but if I have two connections that are both active and transferring data, can I share Yes. And I think, uh, well, I don't know, out of the box, does it do that? Absolutely. I've never really tried it. Okay, because I've never, uh, I uh, in my installations, no matter where I am, I always exclusively have either a wired or wireless interface. I, I must admit, throughout all these years, um, I don't know why I had the mental block. I've never tried activating two to see what happens. I mean, does it just load balance between the two? Uh, it, is, it, is it that smart? No. No. So here here's what happens if uh, and I've done this uh, on my machines because I like to have one IP address for my MacBook Pro, regardless of whether it's on airport or Ethernet. So I manually set the IP address of both of them to the same. It will. I can start a download uh, wirelessly, plug in the Ethernet connection and turn off wireless and the download continues. I've had Skype connections go. It all just works. The machine magically moves back and forth because the IP address hasn't changed. So the router doesn't care, you know, just, right. Oh, yep. Okay. There you are. No problem. Uh, but what I've also done, and I've done this not for any cool purpose, but I've done it to, you know, configure a new router for someone while I'm still online and, and connected. I'll leave my ethernet connected to my you know main router and, and get me out to the internet. And then I'll go into my wireless connection and tell it to get an address via DHCP and then I can fire up another, you know, router if I have to configure one for my dad or, you know, somebody. Um, and I connect the router to that with the, you know, in the airport menu, I choose, you know, Linksys or whatever it is. 
And uh, sure enough, I can connect there. And it's smart enough because of because of the way it routes. Um, as long as the IP ranges are different. Now, I always set my home network to be on a different IP range than the 192.168.1.x. And do you mean subnet? Yes, my subnet's different. Or, or so class or address class. Well, well, for example, are you going? at at yeah. home here, my network is 192.168.42.x, and I have one through two fifty five set up. Okay. That that way, if I do happen to connect this way to a router that's out of the box default is 192.168.0.1 or 192.168.1.1, I'm not confused. And then, as long as I've got that set up right, uh, and the other router isn't on dot forty two. I can open up my, uh, you know, my browser and I can connect to either router and it, it knows, you know, well, dot one dot one is available here and not there and vice versa. So, okay. yeah, it works fine. It's pretty slick, Great. actually. Slicker than a mouse's ear, as a friend of mine in Texas used to say. <laughs> All right. Uh, it, I think it's time to uh, to migrate it's to our time. to our SSD conversation. So. Uh, we've all done a couple of different things. I'll 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 gloss over this and then uh, and then we'll we'll take it from there. Um, as you know, I've or as I've mentioned before, if you've listened before, I have um, used the a run core drive, a 128 gigabyte SATA, two and a half inch run core drive. It's built to go inside my MacBook Pro. But uh, when I got it, I didn't want to crack open my MacBook Pro. Uh, so I ran it off a USB and I was very impressed with the speed. It was, you know, night and day difference, not because of the actual transfer rates, because USB probably a little slower than the internal drive, though, the, though not much difference. I think about, you know, 35 megabytes a second over USB versus maybe 45 with the internal drive. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is the that low latency, no seek times or very, very small seek times to get from one Be chunk careful. of data. Yeah, I know to get from one chunk of data to the other. Uh, and so, you know, massive difference. Well, uh, over the weekend, I installed the run core drive in my in my MacBook Pro. And we'll 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 talk more about the installation process itself in the next show. I don't want to waste time with that here. But uh, right. but yes, I bit the bullet and did it. Um, John, you and and Michael both got um, WinTech 48 gigabyte express card SSD drives that you put uh, in your express card slots, uh, which also gives it a, an internal SATA interface now. So, you know, you're getting the full speed, which I think of the WinTech drive is, is about 150 megabytes a second, maybe, maybe a little less, maybe 120 megabytes a second, but certainly, you know, way more than double and possibly triple the effective throughput of your max internal drive. But, uh, but so, John, why don't you take it from there, and then, then we'll have Michael chime in here. Okay. So I got the drive. So uh, one thing I noticed, so I got the drive. Um, it's, uh, as mentioned, uh, ExpressCard 34 drive. So it came out of the box. Uh, I put it in my machine, in my MacBook, and it came up, uh, surprisingly, because I have an NTFS driver, it came up immediately as an NTFS drive. Um, so the first thing on the Mac is you probably want to reformat it as a GUID uh, partition scheme and uh, HFS uh, plus. But once I did that, um, some of the things you know, I noticed about it, so one, and, and uh, you know, we, maybe we can short circuit this, but uh, the one thing I noticed is when I went to the SATA part of the system profiler, this comes up as a three gigabyte uh, per second 
device and not a 1.5 like the internal drive. So that kind of surprised me. But what I did is I installed Leopard Fresh on this 48 gigabyte drive. Now, as you may recall, I did an earlier experiment where I was doing a 16 gigabyte uh, SDHC drive using an express card thing. And, and the, the basically OS X will not function well on a 16 gigabyte drive. I found that out. A 48 gigabyte, awesome. Or at least there's enough where it can do software updates and have enough scratch space. But yeah, um, I have I have about 11 gigs left over. Yeah, okay, I got 17. I didn't install anything except the OS. Uh, I did not reinstall any application. So I basically just installed a fresh version and did an update up to the latest version of OS 10 on the drive. And my observation, just running that. So for example, I ran Safari, and uh, you know I'll drink the Kool Aid here. Like like Dave has said in the past, uh, a lot of time, especially using Safari. Uh, so I didn't so much notice that it booted up like amazingly quick, but when I was running apps, I think apps that are typically used to messing with the hard drive a lot, and I think Safari is a big offender in this case, especially when it caches lots and lots of data. I mean, and there are sometimes when I start Safari, and it may take a minute for it to even respond because I see the the menu meters like going on and off and on and off. Whereas with this thing, it was blazing because the 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 cache or spot uh, the cache files that Safari is maintaining. It happens so much quicker. Um, now, one thing to back up a little bit, and then I'll, I'll hand it over. I don't want to take up too much here. But initially, I was trying to benchmark these drives, and, and Dave pointed out something very <laughs> useful to me. I was trying to transfer drives from things in my computer to this uh, SSD drive. Not re- it didn't really click, and this is, I think, because it's an order of magnitude kind of kind of phenomenon. So I was trying to transfer a file from my hard drive to the SSD, and I'm like, well, I'm only getting 30 megabytes a second. That kind of sucks because this drive... You know, says it's going to get 100. Then I realized, you know what? I'm running into the limits of my hard drive, which when you think about it, even though the hard drive is a SATA whatever, you know, 100 or whatever megabit thing, the, the platter to interface speed on a hard drive is in the order of tens of megabytes per second. And I think the drive I have in my MacBook uh, is on that order. I tried some other thing. I tried, you know, my SSD drive. And then I realized, you know, and, and Dave and I emailed back and forth, I'm limited by the devices that I have uh, that are trying to talk to the drive. Uh, and again, it's an order of magnitude thing. You're talking a drive that's talking hundreds of megabytes a second versus devices that are in your Mac now that are talking tens of megabytes. So uh, uh, I guess the thing is, and, the, and then I'll shut up and hand it over, is a <laughs> hybrid solution where you're mixing old and new. You're going to get really slowed down by the, the old stuff because it, 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 it can only go so fast. The, in, in a lot of cases... 10 times slower than the, the new SSD, which is just blazing. So, uh, so John, I'm curious about what your, what your setup is. You have, obviously, your system and your applications running off that, that no, SSD No, just the drive. system. I did not yet install applications, though I found if I tried to launch applications on the hard drive, um, it would say, oh, well, I'm missing you know, your registration key and stuff. I, I hadn't looked into that in detail. So, so you're just running what came with OS ten. Okay, so the, the applications that run on the SSD are obviously there and you're running them from there, but everything else, all the applications that you installed yourself, those are running off of your internal. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. I had not gotten that far as, as uh, I had not yet gone to the point of migrating my apps to the SSD. Now, just now were using you using what came with the OS? Were you using your, your user folder was not your main user folder. You were just no. using one. The, 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 you know, no, the, it's basically the, a fresh, fresh OS 10 install on the SSD. But, but gotcha. I could see, of course, the other drive. And, and when right. I tried to run apps, it would it would run them because I was admin, right? Sure. Um, 
but but I didn't go much farther than that. So so just so I'm just talking about the experience out of the box with a fresh install of OS 10, which is probably always you know the ideal situation. Got it. Okay, so I'll explain my setup, and uh, so because I have a lot going on, and I really just wanted to not so much experiment with it, but actually run off of this drive day to day. Um, I installed uh, from my MacBook Pro install CD. OS 10 and all the applications uh, started up with uh, starting uh, same username, same short username, um, same per- same password, um, and then did all the updates and all that. Then I believe what I did was I migrated just the applications over with the migration assistant. Uh, so all, all my applications were local um, on the, the uh, solid state drive. And then what I did was because I had set up my uh, user as, you know, the same short name and password in leopard, you can actually point your user to a different home folder. So what I did was I pointed that to my internal home folder, which then after I rebooted, uh, I had it set up exactly as I had it before I installed the solid state drive. So I was just kind of picking up where I left off, but now running my, OS and my page file and my applications off of the solid state. So I noticed a a big jump in performance right away, especially with, I know John, you said you didn't notice a difference in booting or did you see Uh, any sort of difference? Because for me, I mean, I would say, well, actually I noticed the install time. So if I installed, um, on the, uh, when I did my prior, uh, SSD experiment, you know, with the flashcard, it maybe took me like an hour to install OS 10 on this thing. It took maybe 30 minutes or less. So I yeah. definitely noticed that, but I noticed but that yeah, too. I didn't run a lot of apps. The, the app I ran most was Safari. And on the one hand it was a fresh Safari, but even then I noticed that it was, it was incredibly zippy once it loaded all the uh, cache mm-hmm. files and stuff. Uh, because again, I think that a lot of apps will tend to cache stuff to the hard drive versus uh, system RAM. Well, what I noticed uh, as far as booting, I, it's uh, about, twice as fast okay to to boot up and i you know i've done uh comparisons because you know it's the same uh set of you know years of user data in the same os i just you know chose a different um boot up device and so even though i was uh you know automatically logging in to a user folder that was completely on the internal hard drive it was still twice as fast um and i also i ran some uh, an xbench on, on both drives, comparing them, uh, the internal drive got a uh, 33.05 score. The SSD got an 82.70. So it's about two and a half times faster uh, if you're just, you know, doing an X-Bench right. type, of, type of thing. Now, you mentioned like Safari, for example. Um, I haven't noticed an incredible difference in speed, but that's, for me, I'm thinking because I'm still using the cache files and all of that that exists on my internal drive. Right. Yeah. So, you know, loading up Safari, it's a little quicker, but otherwise it's, it's about the same speed. The biggest difference for me, um, and Dave, I, th- I think you may have mentioned this too, um, is uh, swap files. Because, yes. you know, when you run out of RAM, especially with Safari, and I do a lot of stuff in Safari throughout the day, and that likes RAM. 
And uh, I think there's, so, I still think there's a memory leak in Safari, but maybe, maybe oh, yeah. I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, uh, okay. So th- th- this is, this is interesting because I have yet to run in the hybrid situation. I also got one of these, uh, WinTech 48 gig drives and I intend on setting up Lisa's MacBook pro similar to how you have yours set up, Michael. Um, it'll buy her some more room because I can get rid of all the OS files on her internal drive. Um, and, and then that'll buy her, you know, some room and, and she'll in theory have some speed increases and, and all of that good stuff. Um, but so here's the interesting thing. I moved from the USB interface to the internal SATA interface. Now I moved everything, right? I have no more spindle drive in my machine. So everything's running off the SSD boot up time. And this may be why boot up time wasn't, um, you know, massively faster for you, Michael, is because you're you're still reading your user folder off of the uh, internal drive. Uh, there was a weird sound that so Pilot drive Pete's, was spinning up there. Pilot Pete's earphone <laughs> created. I, I, oh, it's, well, anyway. Um, so with with mine, though, it's it's probably five times faster to boot up. Uh, and and that is faster from USB to uh, the SATA interface. So, the, you know, the performance improvement there is definitely noticeable. However, once it's booted up, I don't see all that much difference between the SSD drive on the USB interface and the SSD drive on the SATA interface, which tells me that it's far mm. more about the low, low latency of the SSD drive than it is about the speed uh, that, you know, the transfer rate of this drive. And I did do some benchmarks. I actually used Drive Genius, which has a great benchmark uh, tester in it because it really just it unmounts the drive and pumps data at it and pulls data off of it. And, uh, you know, I I, uh, I guess I got about 35 megs a second when the uh, SATA drive, when the SSD drive was on the USB interface. And I'm getting about 160 with the drive on my internal interface, but with the run core drive on my internal SATA interface, but that's limited by the uh, 1.5 gigabit per second SATA limitation of the older MacBook Pros. Uh, If it would do three gigabytes SATA, I think I'd see over over 200 megabytes a second with it. So, but, uh, but yeah, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's nice and quiet to have that drive in the machine. There's no moving parts anymore. I don't hear the drive spinning up. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and certainly convenient if you're going to run a laptop off of a, an SSD drive, you have to do it with an internal because otherwise you're dragging around an external drive with you. But I did not see the user experience uh, change dramatically from USB to uh, to putting it internal, which is which was interesting. I kind of expected to see more. Except, but what about with uh, paging out? I, I think you said nope. at some point to me privately that you kind of reboot more often than most people do. Because I reboot about, before, about once a week. Well, I mean, like before you had the SSD, didn't you? Weren't you rebooting much more because of paging out or no? Yeah, I, I was. But but the, with the SSD on the USB drive, it, it the paging out was fine. I, I didn't have an issue with it. Right. It, yeah. 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 So which which surprised uh, it, it surprised me that I didn't really notice the speed increase of of the, you know, the wider path, if you will, that it really is the latency is where these drives, you know, make up most of the uh, that user experience thing. Even launching something like Photoshop that on my MacBook Pro, you know, spindle drive that used to take I mean, it was many minutes, at least one minute, if not two to, you know, from the time I clicked it to the time it was open. And now it's maybe 10 seconds. 
because it's all these little files yeah. that it's got to go out and well, find. You know, we got to mention that. Um... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I'm good. What do I have to mention? Well, no, what you were getting at is, uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, speeds are, uh, uh, I guess what I was going to mention is uh, something we touched on before is uh, you're reaching, um, at least with these 1.5 gigabit per second versus three, you're, the, the drive is, is potentially reaching, uh, you know, a maximum level. Um, I don't know if we really commented on that, but but, but there yeah. was a little controversy because the SATA interface on the Mac has oscillated between three gigabits per second and 1.5 gigabits per second. 1.5 gigabits being about 192 megabytes per second, Correct. which kind of touches on the high end of uh, some of these drives here. So, uh, right. so I think that was just an interesting little technology nugget there that uh, maybe the industry wasn't prepared for this uh, leap in performance when they designed the uh, the SATA uh, controllers. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. And obviously, they you know they released a firmware update for the latest crop of MacBook Pros, the current 13 and 15 inch, that will bump the SATA, uh, the internal SATA chip up to three gigabits. Now, I, I don't know what if that makes any difference with battery life or you know or anything like that. But enough people complain that they got it to go. Uh, we we haven't had enough complaint for about our machines, John. So I don't think they're going to issue a firmware update that bumps it up. But uh, but like yeah. I said, it you know it it really didn't make a difference to me. I mean, going from thirty five to one hundred and sixty didn't make a, a, a noticeable difference. So I, I'm not screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs that I need to go you know over two hundred because the drive will do it. You know, at least according to Runcore, um, the drive I have will go you know up to about two forty on reads. Um, but you just yeah. don't need it. So now, right. one thing I noticed. Yeah. Boy, when you took that thing out, it was hot. You're talking about the express card drive, right? Oh, the the WinTech. Yeah. yeah. I oh saw some reports gosh. on Macintosh about this where people were saying the drive was actually getting so hot that it was going offline. Really? Yes. Which would be bad if you were booted from it, you know. Because when I looked in, you know, I took my machine apart just for fun recently, and you look there, and it's basically a little metal cage. Yeah, there's there's no room for heat dissipation in there's the in no the express card slot, ventilation or anything. So, but but when I took that thing out, it was bordering on painful hot. The drive itself was it um, was it it wasn't like red fishbone hot though, uh, or uh, Leon Redbone or whoever <laughs> that guy is. <laughs> we'll go with our imagination, but no, it yes. was it was approaching painfully hot to hold. Yeah. Oh, me, me too. It's stuffed in yeah. there and it's, it's, you know, it's doing a lot of high frequency, high, high throughput work. I mean, the heat has to Here, go somewhere. Here's the, the, thing, the thing though. Is with the express card, the heat really can't go anywhere when you look at the design of the Mac. Here, here's the thing though. When I ran that run core drive in the USB case, right? External to the machine. I, I was curious how hot it would get thinking, you know, it's just chips, right? We're pumping data back and forth. It, it might heat up. And so I actually put it like underneath a book, make sure there's no heat dissipation, right, whatsoever. And the case that, mm-hmm. that you put it in, it's basically just a metal wrapper around the drive. So, I mean, it's it's the worst kind of, in, you know, uh, heat dissipation, right? Well, it's insulation. It's, it's wonderful. insulation. It's <laughs> wonderful. Exactly. Right. Well, this drive didn't it never got hot to the touch. So I'm okay. not convinced that the heat that we're feeling when we take these WinTech drives out of our Macs. I don't think that heat is generated by the drive. I think that heat is generated by the Mac and the yes. drive's just soaking it up. I'm with you on that. And actually, okay. now I remember what I was going to say before and I kind of. Hey, can you check got, that? 
Uh, with what? your uh, with your SD card thing, just put it in there without a card in there for an hour, and then take it out and see if it's hot. That'll answer yeah, our question. Yeah, but it was going to say is the WinTech drive. So I'm sorry, it was in my mind before it left, but now it came back. Good. The WinTech drive, one of the cool things, or two of the cool things. So it has two little interesting options on the drive itself. One is a cool little LED to just let you know it's doing something. Yeah, it's a, okay. it's got an activity light. I know, it's awesome. But then it has a mini USB connector. The WinTech drive is not only an express card drive, it is a USB 2 device, and they include right. a cute little USB cable. So if you happen to be near a machine, like for example, I don't know what the heck is going on with my, my work machine because I tried to use this with my, uh, it's a Dell Inspiron 9400. It has an express card 34 slot in it. Mm-hmm. But... Both the memory card reader and this device, when I plug them into that computer, it it's like, huh? It doesn't even recognize. That maybe need, maybe you need new Windows drivers for it. Uh, I was looking. I looked in the BIOS just to make sure there wasn't a setting to enable or disable the Express sure. Card because this was one of the first Dell machines that had Express Card versus PCMCIA, which is okay. the older, yep, uh, you know, kind of bus level interface to to add cool stuff. So, um. Yeah, but, it, you know, hardware, you know, the normal Windows thing, when you put in something new, it's like, oh, new hardware detected. Right. It, it didn't even do that. So, really? yeah, I'm with you. I may have drivers. Yeah, which is, yeah that's drivers. You know, I mean, anything else that I install in that, USB or anything, as soon as it's it's put in there, I hear, you know, a sound. It usually plays a sound. Then it says, hey, new hardware detected, and uh, either, you know, completes it or asks for a driver. So, yeah, I think a, a BIOS upgrade may be in order. Though I thought I had the latest. Anyways, so I want to mention that it's a very nice feature of that card, which I think is uncommon, is it has dual interfaces. Express card, and if you happen to be stuck with only a USB machine, you got that. Yep. Yep. So, all right, cool. Well, they did, is that it? Anybody else have anything to uh, to to mention about SSD? or? Uh, I was or, just curious if John had any issues. Any crashes or anything? SSD and, yeah. I had no issues. What I will say, though, and uh, Dave, you, you and I uh, tossed this around a bit when we did the uh, uh, P-Mug uh, bunch there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that was awesome. And, and actually, one of the readers did send us an article. So so I knew there was something. I didn't have the specifics. But uh, uh, my only caution is the SSD market is still young. And, and actually, Intel, this was kind of a black eye for them. They, they've had a couple of... Uh, corruption issues with the and normally the Intel drives are kind of the the top of the heap I think as far as performance and just the you know getting the technology working. I mean Intel makes memory chips and all sorts of other very nice chips like the ones in our Mac, but they've had a couple of uh, they they've had a couple of incidents which uh, may cast a, a dark shadow on the SSD world. Did did you um, have any issues with your uh, with your drive, Michael? Um, I had an issue while I was running from the drive. I don't know if it was because of the drive or not, but uh, I put it to sleep and later woke it up and had a very slow uh, kernel panic crawl happen on my screen. Um, although that was just, you know, maybe a few hours after I'd updated to 10.5.8, yep. I think it is. Yeah. So who knows if it was from that or not, but otherwise... I, I- not really. I've had it. I had a. I, I was able to kernel panic my machine and it with the WinTech drive, and it was definitely the WinTech drive. But it was because I was messing with it. Th- that's a weird Express Card thing. Have you guys had trouble getting that to mount properly in there and then release properly? I feel like I got to like push it no. and mess around with it and all. Maybe it's the. Oh, you mean the physical? Physically, yeah. Uh, no problems on mine. Okay, you know I've got one of those I've, spec no, sometimes plastic you may cases have to, on my you machine. You may have to 
push it vigorously to get it to the, the release mechanism to kick in. That, that's it, it yeah. does land flush. Yep, and it's got a weird lip on it too. Uh, you know, it's got like a little lip sticking up off the top of it that you know, kind of. I, I don't know. I had to jack around with it for a while, but it, but I've also got one of these uh, spec. I forget what they call it, but it's the hard acrylic case. Mine's green now. I used to have a red one and it protects the computer, but it, you know, it, it also makes that port a little bit tougher to get at. So maybe, maybe that's those, my issue. I have one of those on mine too, and I haven't had an issue, but then again, I'm on a, I'm on a unibody. So it's a different, different form factor. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You've got the the unibody with the uh, express card slot. That's going to, that's going to be an in-demand machine when it, when it comes up on the used market, you know, Hey, yeah, you should, uh, uh, speaking of, of the used market, I, I want to let Pete give a little quick plug here. He just upgraded uh, to his 13-inch MacBook Pro, and that means he's got a 15-inch MacBook Pro on the uh, on the block. I do. Yeah, it's a <clears throat> it's a nice machine. It's a 15-inch matte screen. Uh, it's got the uh, 2.16 gigahertz Core 2 Duo processor. Uh, these are the upgrades with it. It's got uh, a spare battery. It's got uh, invisible shield on it. It has a 320 gig hard drive instead of 128 that it came with, and it's got three gigs of RAM. And uh, they'll put a link, I guess, in the show notes, but it's boxav8r.net forward slash MBP. That's Mike Bravo Papa dot HTML. And it's, uh, it's got pictures there and a full description of the machine. And, and they can contact you there too. They Pete. can contact me there. Excellent. They can email me there. I think there's a phone number on there. Cool. And did, uh, did, I'm asking 1,200 for the machine. It's uh, it's been gently used. It's two and a half years old. And it's got over six months of Apple Care left on it. So and it, it's been used by yeah. by, uh, by celebrity me. folks. By yeah, Pete. that's it. Yeah. yeah. John. So. No, no I was going to ask Pete. I'm like, gee, you, you know what could just make it better is if you had Apple Care. You do. Yeah. Six yeah. Yeah, oh, six okay. months Apple Care. That's huge. I don't know about you guys, but any portable I've gotten from Apple since I can remember, I've gotten Apple Care. That's, I, the, so that's the only it's warranty it's a, that Consumer Reports recommends you get yeah. on electronics. Consumer, yeah. you can't say I, that. I put it on. They'll, they'll hunt you down. I put it on iMacs as well because they're they're the same. Really? They're, they're, yeah, because think about it. And, and I've said this before, and I've had some people call me on it, but but I, I it's true. An iMac is essentially a laptop in an upright case it's with a vertical a, Mac with a big screen. <laughs> All the parts in there are, you know, completely proprietary. There's no way that you're going to get those cheaply, you know, on the aftermarket. If your video card goes to, you know, to pot, you, you got to replace the motherboard. It's, you know, it's uh, it's a little different construction from the laptops, different construction, but same. But it's the same Concept. guts. The RAM is the same. Concept. It's all, you know, it's all the same. So I, I put Apple Care on my IMAX, too. Thankfully, it's a little cheaper on the IMAX, which is great. So there you go. All right. So. I think it's time to uh, to find the band, right? Where'd oh, you put there them? they are. They've been banned. They're there and they're not stuttering. That's good. You can't ban the band. No. 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 All right. Uh, uh, Dave, we didn't talk about contact info. My goodness. All right. So uh, can what I talk about that? Um, well, okay. Yeah, well. <laughs> I will. You know, Good. the first way I, I think we love, especially with the new iPhone uh, and iPod Touch software, you can record a nice audio note. But, you know, in, in any event, you can use good old-fashioned text and you can send an email. Where am I going? I'm going to start with email. You can email us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And Dave, did you say feedback at MacGeekGab.com? I heard. 
<laughs> you know, I did say that, but but that's not the only way you can contact us. You can also call us on the old-fashioned telephone, and you can uh, with with two zero six 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 geek. That's right, and that's uh, for those of you with the old rotary dial phones. That's four three three five. MacGeekGab.com is where the show notes will appear. Uh, you can Skype us at MacGeekGab, and uh, we have iTunes comments. You can well, we you you provide iTunes comments. We love them. It's great. It's awesome. iPhoneAlley.com is where our great friend Michael Johnston uh, spends cool. his days. Uh, and some of his nights. And nights. <laughs> so thank you for coming on the show, Michael. This was, uh, this was good to have you here. Anytime. All right, cool, man. Uh, Cashfly Hosting provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Blog World Expo, October 15th through 17th. John, I believe the schedule is out. So yes. Now I you can string uh, him and you can book your flights. very hard. And from what I understand, yes, the agenda for the show is out. So you can now make your travel plans. And I will be doing that post-haste. Post-haste? What about pre-haste? Anyway, uh, that, that didn't work. <laughs> no, that's kind of flat on its nose. That's right. <laughs> uh, the podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, Disc Label from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, Pathfinder from Cocotech, and Warranty Hero from Nodhead Software, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. That's it. We're out of here. This was good. Again, Michael, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Listeners, everyone out there, readers of the site, thank you so much for being subscribed and Can all your comments. Can I tell you what today sucked? Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> you can tell us on Twitter. No, John F. Braun, Dave Hamilton. Michael Johnston. Michael Johnston, Pilot Pete. That's right. Sweet. Don't get Don't caught. Don't get caught. <laughs> Made up.